This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery, like McKenna, brings a top-tier lineup. With Leaf Davis-esque delivery right to your door, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only by app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Blue Monday podcast covering Ipswich Town since 2015. I'm Richard Woodward and you are tuned into a special show with me this evening and whenever you're listening uh, is Mark Donaldson from ESPN. Let me firstly introduce with a long intro who Mark is and why he's here. It'll all become clear in a second. Uh, Mark's been with ESPN since 2010 covering a myriad of sports, football, tennis, baseball, correct me if I go wrong Mark by the way, <laughs> golf, um, at major events, World Cups, Euros, World Series of Baseball, Wimbledon, Australian Opens, the US Open, the um, Open Championship Golf, lead commentator for Serie A for um, ESPN and BT Sport. Or is this your podcast caps off that you do for BT Sport? No, BT Sport has caps off, which is the baseball show. But among all that, um, you never mentioned all the, the grounds that I've visited. But you know what? I'm so excited that on Tuesday night, I get my first ever visit to Portman Road, Ipswich. Having spent the year writing about Ipswich and Portman Road, I finally get to visit it next week. How are yeah. you? Yeah, uh, the home of football. Um, well. So <laughs> I was going to go on to your books as well, because this gets to the, the crux of the matter. Do, um, your three books prior to the one that we're going to talk about um, has got an Ipswich angle to it and believe mm -hmm. from turmoil to triumph at Tyne Castle the story of the ill-fated era under Vladimir Romanov, who <laughs> sacked George Burley, did he not? Oh, harshly. He, he, harshly. He was top of the league, but he was getting too many plaudits, so the, the owner wasn't happy. So it was bye-bye Burley. So we called that chapter, why bye Burley? <laughs> nice explained, Yeah, we explained why, why he went. Do you know what? It's, it's 
15 years, Rich, since since that happened. And I think it'll be for, for eternity for Hearts fans, that question of could Hearts, would Hearts have won the league under George that season in, in 2005, 2006? We'll never know. George thinks we would have done, so that's good enough for me. Yeah, and we've we know about you know um, c- confounding the the critics and the and the bookies by being near the top of the Premier League, albeit short and sweet moment in our history. Um, mm. And another book, uh, Marine Heart, about um, Scotland midfielder Gary Mackay, who I think was very anti Romanoff, if I've got my facts right as well. So, yeah. <laughs> He 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 was he he was anti Chris Robinson in the beginning and very pro Vladimir Romanov, but but then he uh, he he kind of changed his tune like like we all did. A little known fact about Gary Mackay: he scored Scotland's goal in Bulgaria in 1987 that sent the Republic of Ireland through to its first major tournament under Jack Charlton in 1988. I think that's the only book that I've done that doesn't have an Ipswich connotation because the other book uh, that I did, Stevie Nichols' book, another one that's behind me, of course, Stevie's assistant, was the man we're going to be talking about today, Mr. Paul Manning. Yeah, so I was going to talk about, yeah, five league titles and a packet of crisps <laughs> um, and another um, ESPN colleague there. So we've set up very well. We now know exactly who you are, if we didn't know already. Um, Mark Donaldson, thank you for joining us on the Blue Monday podcast and a pleasure to have you. Um, let's cut to the chase. A fourth book for which you are behind the scenes as the author, will understand your role for that. Paul Mariner, my mm. rock and roll football story, out um, this week, I, I guess, when we're putting this out, Thursday 25th-ish or something. But um, we've got some special events to talk about as well at Portman Road, as you mentioned. Um, but let's start with some basics. Um, how did the book with Paul come about? So it's been in, in the works for quite a while, hasn't it? Yeah, like I did with Stevie Nichol, uh, I, I kind of asked Stevie way back at the start, like 2012, I think it was, with Stevie, do you want to write a book? No. Um, and then a couple of years later, when Paul joined us full time, if you ever fancy writing a book, yeah, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll let you know. And then it, it kind of came about in in February, March this year, when I just messaged him. And I, w- I wish I'd done it earlier. Because he said yes, and, and the reason I wish I'd done it earlier will, will become clear, because I think I'm maybe the only ghostwriter uh, of, of any autobiography who's never really had any time at all with his subject, oh, wow. um, which is it's heartbreaking for, for Paul's family, for the Ipswich fans, for, for everyone, who for the England, Plymouth, every supporter who, who had um, some semblance of, of kind of love for, for Paul Mariner. Um, it's it's heartbreaking that we're talking about him in the past sense now. We've got so many yeah. memories about that. But thankfully, Paul said yes, and we managed to get it done in time. I think, I don't know if it's a Scottish um, mentality, Rich, that you always look for a kind of negative and a, and a positive, and I wish I'd done it earlier, rather than focus on the positive. Look, we've got a book coming out that should hopefully be a wonderful legacy for Paul's family about their dad, their husband, their their grandfather or, or whoever. Um, but I just, I would have liked more time, wouldn't we all, with, with Paul Mariner? Because you know what, as, as Ipswich fans will know, he just lit up any room that he was ever in. Yeah, yeah. And it's, as you say, I, I mean, the flip side is it's it's a lasting legacy and it's, and it's a story that sounds fascinating and interesting and 
and and for someone who was um born slightly after um i, I think just before I'm trying to remember he, he i was born just before he left to join arsenal from ipswich so i didn't see him play but growing up as an ipswich fan you know about this team about 81 you know mm-hmm. the the best team in our history and what we probably don't know about is the other side of it unless you were around the club at the time around the town at the time you probably don't know about the anecdotes of um paul mariner and the beat and butcher and osman and mm-hmm. and this sheds not only light on on that i hope but brings people like me and, and even younger to understand what what he's all about so in that respect it's it's a really valuable reference for all of us as, as football supporters plymouth ipswich arsenal whoever um so we're all really looking forward to reading it and um, i'm sure all of your hard work will be, will be worth it and um, as I say, it's a lasting legacy as well. So, so that's great. Um, talk to us about I, I, my question. My first question was, was as someone at ESBM, talk to us about the the post management career, the pundit Paul Mariner, because obviously that's the link um, between the two of you to um, um, for the book. But I guess mm-hmm. as someone who doesn't have ESBN on in in my house, it's sure. massive around the world, and I just wanted to understand your perspective of Paul Mariner, the pundit and, and the adulation and the, the kind of the, the respect that he got in that bit of his career. Part of me doesn't understand it simply because I don't know how many, well, I've got, we know how many viewers we have in certain countries, but it's not until Paul and Stevie and Craig and the gang that are on your screens every day, if you watch ESPN FC, go elsewhere. Um, that they're they're getting a, a kind of an adulation from those of a certain vintage, our age, that remember his achievements as a player. But then the younger generation who've only ever seen him on TV or, or seen clips of him playing and never really saw him in person. So I'm not sure I actually understand what his popularity is outside of the United States and of the United Kingdom as well. I know it's it's popular because... Africa's the the big thing um, for us because it goes out to show ESPN FC in Africa and I have to say 90% of of the mailbag um, is for the Premier League mailbag is is from Africa because there's just this huge passion over there as well and it goes out in in English speaking um, Southern Asia and various other places as well so I think me being at ESPN since 2010, uh, having left Scotland where I worked there for, for 33 years, it's not until you leave somewhere that you see that place from a different viewpoint in that we're all in this little bubble. This, the Premier League's in this bubble, if we want to kind of magnify it even, even closer. And, and fans of, even in Scotland, Celtic and Rangers fans are in this little bubble that the world doesn't exist outside of their club or, or the two teams. But for Ipswich Town in, in 1981, and, and to speak to so many people in the book um, with memories of, of what they did, and even um, when they lost to Aberdeen, when they were defending their, 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 um, their cup, and that was Alex Ferguson at the time as well, they were a big thing. Even when Aberdeen beat them, Aberdeen went on to become a big thing and beat Real Madrid. But from an Ipswich perspective, you've gone from this this club that um, McMills played in Bobby Robson's first game, McMills played in Bobby Robson's last game, and it was it was a, a smaller club that not many people had heard of. But for all the people I spoke to, um, a lot of them with no association with Ipswich, but with association with Paul Mariner, they all know about Ipswich Town now because of what Paul did, because of what Paul's teammates did, and because of what the football team did at Ipswich Town back in the day. So 
it's easy to look at it and go, yeah, he's an Ipswich town legend, but so many people know him for far more than, than what he just did at Ipswich. And, and it's fair to say as well, I need to put a picture of the the cover of the book up as well. We'll do that without covering our faces. It's, it's worth saying that in the Ipswich era that, of his career, he transcended football as well because the forward mm-hmm. of the book is the Eagle of Deep Purple. I mean, talk, talk to us about that. I mean, the book, the title of the book, um, my rock and roll fo- uh, football story, it's kind of one and the other really, isn't it? It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's not all football, I'm assuming. There's not much football. <laughs> apart from, there's a fair bit of football, but there's so many other stories about things that, that he got up to. Um, so he's in the office in 2015, I think it was, maybe March or, or April time, and, and he's, he's going around everybody. Does they, like, I've got a spare ticket for Deep Purple. Does anybody want to come with me? Busy that night. I've not even told you what night it is. Oh, I'm still busy. <laughs> um, so I, my, my father-in-law is a big Deep Purple fan. I said, Maris, I'll go with you. So brilliant. So he said, right, meet me at the place. So it's in a place called Foxwoods in Connecticut, a casino. Um, and it's probably, I would say, about an hour south of Boston because it's, it's, um, it's near the Rhode Island border. So Paul stayed in Cambridge um, from his time when he was at Harvard um, University, which is all explained in the book. So he said, I'll meet you down there. Uh, it was a few days after he, he, he kind of asked. So I met him there. He said, meet me at four. Four. The concert doesn't start till like seven or 7.30. He goes, no, just meet me down there at four. So I met him at four. We went for a, for a nice dinner. And it was still only 5.30. And he said, right, let's go. We're going to the gig. I said, well, what are we going to do for an hour and a half? Just drink? Because he did like a drink. Um, he said, just follow me. And then there was a knock on the door. And it was one person was inside this room. And it was Ian Gillen. And honestly, it was like brothers. It was like best friends. Because pretty much they are. Um, and he said, "Then you come, and who's this? So it was the three of us sitting for an hour, and it, it was just the most bizarre thing. For every achievement and everything that Ian Gillan has done, he was one of the most famous rock stars in the world in the 70s, and then in the 80s they split up, but back together at Nebworth in, in 84. Everybody kind of knew who Ian Gillan was if they had an interest in music. And now there's, there's Ian Gillen, this rock and roll star. There's a footballing legend of the similar era and Paul Mariner. And there's me, this boy from, from Pennycook. And I was never treated like that. I was always treated like one of the, the three of them, or the two of them, sorry. And, and we got around to talking, and, and Ian was very magnanimous and a lovely, lovely gentleman. And uh, he asked about my family, and I'd said that my father-in-law was a, a big Deep Purple fan. Uh, but he wasn't well. He was going through chemotherapy, had cancer at the time. And he said to Paul, hold the phone. And Paul's like, okay. So he held the phone. He goes, what's your dad's name or your father-in-law's name? I said, oh, yeah. it's Ronnie. And he said, hi, this is uh, Ian Gillen from, from Deep Purple. I uh, just want to wish you all the best, Ronnie. I know you're going through some hard times, but fingers crossed that, that you get through this and, uh, and come out the other side. My father-in-law made a full recovery and said that was one of the best things that has ever happened to him. He didn't need to do that, Ian Gillen. But you know what? That's the type of thing that Paul does as well. These are two people who might be at the upper echelon of what they do, but the biggest thing about them both, they think about themselves before, well, everyone else has thought about it before they think about themselves. And, and and that's why I think, even though it seems the most bizarre thing that the forwards buy, Deep Purple's Ian Gillen, um, and it's a, a, a book about a, a footballer, the bond that they had, usually over alcohol and some food, 
um, was was just something very, very special. And I'm not sure you get that type of bond between two people now in very, very different lifestyles. It does feel like a, a different era type thing. But as you said as well, and, and even, you know, as I said, we, we're kind of at arm's length of his, his, his TV career at ESPN. But even when you saw clips of him, and, and as you said, I used, to, I used to go on holiday to Australia and New Zealand and Singapore, and it would be on in bars there, and it would yeah. be brilliant to see him. But you get a sense of that, you know, he was there, I, I don't want to use the B word, but banter and that kind of stuff. That mm-hmm. was always seeming to, seeming to flow. And it, it wasn't, you know, there was, there was insight, there was analysis, of course. But first and foremost, it felt like he was, he was enjoying it, which is kind of what you, you want. And of course. that seemed to be, yeah, all of that, what he did was, was enjoying it, wasn't it? It, it was. And, and the one thing I would, I would say about this, Paul Mariner never changed from his, his time breaking into the, the Charlie side to the Plymouth side to the Ipswich side, his his outlook on life never changed. He he himself changed, and as the book explains, he didn't like who he became um, after he joined Ipswich and, and he became successful because um, looking back now, and he was able to look back um, probably from his latter time with Ipswich onto his time with Arsenal, he was able to look back at the person he'd become, and he didn't like that person. Um, and it's all explained in the book, but the reason he didn't like himself at that stage, he felt he got too big for his boots. Um, but his his, his lifestyle um, hadn't really changed as far as going out and enjoying himself. So even when he finished, he, he became a bit of a, a nomadic um, character and travelled the world, came over here and went to Japan and various other countries. But he always had this fun lifestyle. So when he came to ESPN, he never had to change. He was who he was. You, 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 he was what you saw on TV. There was no airs, no graces. Um, there wasn't a kind of character on screen and a character off screen. And that was where he was very different from Stevie because they're both pretty similar characters, but Stevie Nichol was very guarded when he came into to ESPN. He'd just come pretty much from, from being boss of New England Revolution, where Paul was his assistant before Paul left um, to become part of the Plymouth uh, backroom staff and ultimately manager. But Stevie came to ESPN. It wasn't until one of the senior producers had a word with him and said, look, as much as we enjoy having you here, you're offering us absolutely nothing yeah. because you're still, the, in essence, the manager of New England Revolution. You're saying a lot without saying anything at all. Yeah. Give us your opinions. Paul never had that problem. Paul's always given his his enjoyment to it, his opinions, his stories. And, and that's the difference. And then when, when Stevie changed and became like that, the pair of them are just, I mean, the pair of them have been inseparable since a meeting in Framingham in Massachusetts. Um, when they they in the first met again, having played against each other, uh, but then they were very similar and they had nicknames for each other. They were both called Jim, which made right. it an absolute yeah. All right, Jim. All right, all right, Jim. All right. I said to him, "Why Jim?" And he goes, "Well, that's what Scottish people call each other, isn't it?" I was like, "Well, not really." He goes, "Oh, well, it was when I spoke to Stevie." So he's Jim, and I'm Jim, and and that's that's the way it goes. That must have been a fun dynamic to manage, to be to be under them. I mean, to to the the point you were talking about, you know, reflecting back on because the successor Ipswich was was in our history pretty unparalleled. Obviously, the the first division title under Sir Alf Ramsey in the sixties, mm-hmm. but uh, but it was so relentless as well. It was continual success as well. Um, yeah, I, I just wonder how much. Uh, whether the book deals with the relationship with Sir Bobby Robson, because obviously mm. he was very driven and, and very detailed oriented. And that kind of feels maybe at odds, perhaps at Paul's philosophy. Is that, is that fair to say? Is there anything around that? Bobby loved Paul. 
and Paul loved Bobby. And we've got an entire, I, d I wanted to devote an entire chapter to Bobby Robson um, from the, <laughs> some of the stories. I mean, when they went on a pre-season tour with Ipswich, Bobby had just left um, to take over the England managerial job. So they went to to, to the Netherlands and, um, and it was just chaos. And they ripped the arse out of it, him and Butcher. I mean, they, they were playing Skittles with custard buns when they were pissed in the middle of the night. And the, and the next thing in the morning, the cleanup at the hotel on, there was chaos. And then there was the the trip to Australia when Terry and I think Russell Osman made their, their England debuts and Paul was there. It was just before the Euros. And um, was it just before the Euros in 1980 or before the World Cup in 82? It was one of the two. Um, and and Paul, was, Paul was drunk and they couldn't find him and he locked himself inside a inside a toilet um and and joe corrigan he was tasked with they were rooming with each other and joe said i've lost them because how the hell have you lost them when you're on a plane so there's there's so many stories like that, that that revolved around um that revolved around alcohol but but his time with bobby robson um hopefully the way it's come across and and let let me explain because i can't at the start, say I hardly spoke with him at all, and then suddenly come out with eighty thousand words, predominantly of which are all Paul's. Um, there's a lot of stuff that we spoke about over the years, which I didn't record, but I can I, I can remember. I got tales from others about Paul, which at times we put into Paul's voice with with his permission at the time. But a lot of this is is possible because of a guy called Brad Feldman. So Brad and Paul worked together at New England Revolution, where Brad was the commentator. And they'd sat down together in 2010, December 2010, with the idea that Paul might write a book, so let's get some stuff on paper. And they got about 25,000 words. And I had no idea about this when I asked Paul if he wanted to write a book. And it transpires, I got an email after I'd put it out that I was writing a book and I wanted some stories about Paul. Uh, I got an email from Brad, who I know through ESPN. He's, uh, he's just up the road in Massachusetts. And he kindly offered for no charge, just uh, the full transcript of, of the 25,000 words with Paul, um, which contained a lot. So there's that, plus there's the stories of all his Ipswich teammates, or the ones I've spoken to and, and other teammates. Plus, we, I think we had about 90 minutes was the only conversation that we had um, when Paul had come off medication um, because it wasn't making him feel good because he was on various things because of, uh, of the glioblastoma the brain tumor and i got a message from from his partner val who, who just simply said today is a good day if you want to give him a call and that was the last time we spoke um sadly and it was an hour and a half of just fun stories and everything like that so it's been very difficult but i couldn't have done it without brad and all his his friends his family and his teammates um who've who've put together the content and given me the stories and brought them to life uh, about Paul. So the, the Bobby Robson stuff is a lot from Paul, a lot from others who were there. Um, there's a good stuff about from, from, I got this from Johnny Wark, who <laughs> there's a lot from Johnny. I can't Wark, wait but, by the way for this. I wrote oh, well, the, the, there's a lot to do with fun and games, but the, the, the thing that interests me most was when, the pair of them put their heads together. Now, that's not a meeting of the Brains Trust, I would suggest. But they kind of said, right, do you want to put a transfer request in? Not because we really? want to leave. Oh, yeah, not because we want to leave, because we want more money. Otherwise, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, we, we want more money. We feel that, that 
that, that we, we deserve to be paid more money. Because what happened that John Wark and Paul Mariner had both been at the World Cup with their respective um, respective oh, nations. Yeah, yeah you know exactly what's coming next. A lot of chat. And how, how much are you on? Really? Okay. Now, this was around the time, was it the Pioneer stand at Portland yeah. Road was, was being built? Oh, no, lot. don't talk. Oh, this is sliding doors moments. We keep talking about oh, these. Yeah, sorry. Keep going. Yeah, so I'm not going to give too much away. Um, but... Uh, there wasn't much money to give them a pay rise, and and um, I think it was probably eighty three um, that this happened, eighty three, eighty four, because Paul obviously got his move to Arsenal, and Johnny got his move to to Liverpool. Um, but yeah, without giving too much away, that was one of Paul's regrets because he would have loved to have, um, although he enjoyed his time with Arsenal, he would have loved to have ended his career, and they, that's what they discussed—a potential contract. Um, with I think it was with Bobby Ferguson who said he would go to the board and, and discuss a potential contract that would see him end his career at Ipswich Town, which is what he wanted to do. Um, and it would be on a, a scale, a sliding scale, and that he would start off getting more, but he would agree to take less and then join the coaching staff and things like that as well. But ultimately it was denied because of the funding for um, for the Pioneer Stand and various other things. And Johnny Wark ended up at Liverpool, Paul ended up at Arsenal and... Um, and the Walkie came back though. Yeah, interesting. He did, yeah. he I mean, his career kept going on in the 90s, though, didn't it? So, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, coincidence is if you like it, you'll be sat in that stand for the Rotherham game, by the way. Oh, so, okay. Um, okay. You can enjoy your nice plush seat that, um, that should have got up for Mariner's wages. <laughs> I mean, it feels like there's, I mean, there's a good chunk with Chipswich fans listening to this podcast, which we delighted to hear. Does, does this span the entirety of his playing career through to management? and, and yeah. media work as well. Yeah, and you, you'll not be surprised to learn that the, the, the majority of the book uh, is focused on Ipswich Town because that was the majority of his success. But it would have been remiss of us not to have mentioned Chorley. Um, and this is where the, the internet was, was extremely helpful because there's a lot of things that you can find there. There's stuff you don't really want to find if you go looking too hard. But I was able to find his former strike partner at Chorley uh, I was wow. able to to get in touch with with Steve Walsh, who was the director of football at Leicester when they won the league. Yeah, and um, they were they were best buds because they came from the same place. And and Steve Walsh was the reason why Paul Mariner got back into football because Paul had given it up to play cricket with Bill Beaumont. I was going to say that came up in the the description of the book. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, strange. I mean, Isn't clearly it? a talented guy though. So you know. Yeah, but he'd just fallen out of love with it. Part of the reason was, and I think I've started one chapter with, um, I've always looked up to many people, uh, but at the age of 18, I was still looking up to everybody because I hadn't grown in about a year. <laughs> I think he was five foot three from the age of, of, of 15 through to the age of 16 or 17. So I guess he, it's a different era. He, he probably wouldn't have made it these days, would he? No, and he was a midfielder. He was a midfielder until he went to, uh, to well, at Chorley, he was a midfielder. And it wasn't until, um, I think it was Alan Hampson, who had left South Liverpool to join Chorley, had seen him playing for Chorley the season before when he was out of South Liverpool and thought, this is a guy who's got all the attributes to be a player further forward in the team. So he'd identified something about him. I mean, he played as a, a kind of, uh, a box-to-box -box as a 10 or whatever, but he saw with these hold-up attributes for Paul, and Ipswich fans will know all about that, and um, he, he was the one that moved Paul from, um, he said, do you fancy it? And that's why he brought the guy 
But he brought in a strike partner from South Liverpool because he felt that the two of them um, could combine. But throughout the book, I've focused on strike partners because I've managed to speak to everybody that that he was a strike partner with, um, from Tony Woodcock and Charlie Nicholas at Arsenal to Mickey Quinn at, uh, at Portsmouth. Um, even his defensive partner at Albany, a guy called John Harks, who you'll remember as a former US captain. Yes, yeah, US 94. Sheff Sheffield yeah. Wednesday. Sheffield Wednesday, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, this 19-year-old this kid showed up and he's like, what the hell are you doing here to Paul Mariner? And that was when Paul had first come over um, to the United States uh, to play during the summer because Paul was involved in the agency business after he left and um, heavily involved in, in a crossover period of, of, I think it was after the 86 World Cup, um, with uh, an Arsenal supporting businessman called John Smith, who's done very well for himself. Um, as a, he, he was like one of the first super agents, and he was actually the European representative for Diego Maradona, all because Mariner gave him Ozzy Ardiel as his number. Wow. Honestly, the number of tangents, no, Rich, in this book is incredible, and there is a little bit of time to talk football as well. Yeah, wow. I, I love these kind of how these things knit together as well. I mean, it seems like, like chaos theory or, you know, the, or the butterfly effect kind of thing. But I guess mm -hmm. that kind of sums up the man, really, as in, yeah. you know, maybe because he started, was he a mechanical engineering student mm -hmm. and all that yeah. kind of stuff? And down to Plymouth, which I guess, you know, if you're going to go somewhere from, it's probably the longest line you could draw and then across to Ipswich. It's all kind he of was, very... yeah. He was he was on the train. There's a, there's a theme about trains in the book. He was on the train heading down from um, where he was in in um, Bolton or near Bolton. I think he got the the first train from Bolton to Manchester and then down to Plymouth for his trial. And there was an old lady that got on somewhere and, and said to him, um, she kept staring at him and he's looking at you. Are you okay? She goes, "Excuse me, son, are you famous?" And he said to her, he says, no, I'm not. But one day I hope I am. And that's, that's the way it turned out. And he went down to, to, to Plymouth and the, the, he played. This is what got me. This is when the research was, was very difficult because I was told that he made his debut in um, a game against Penzance. And I thought, well, pre-season. Because Plymouth to Penzance, it was just... The local kind of teams, I say local, that's still a fair trek for, from Plymouth. Um, but he made his debut against Penzance. But it was actually after the season. It was in May, um, but it was after the season had ended rather than pre-season. This is what I couldn't get my head around. And I eventually managed to to get in touch with someone down there who was able to send me the, the, the cuttings of the newspapers, the local newspaper that said, yeah, it was Mariner's debut. But his manager at the time wasn't even there because he was with England under-21s and he scored with his first touch. So there's that story about the train. And then there's the story about the train up to uh, to London after he'd agreed um, to sign for Ipswich. And by the way, um, that deal went through simply because of the manager at Plymouth um, and Bobby Robson's insistence. Bobby had already met Paul, taken him for dinner. Ipswich were playing an away game at Bristol. I think it was Bristol City, Ashton, maybe in Bristol City or Bristol Rovers, one of the two. And Bobby had gone from there with his assistant down to Plymouth for a Saturday night 8 p.m. dinner with Mariner uh, at one of the hotels. So he'd already done that. This is, I think, the week or two before, because he knew that Ron Greenwood at the time 
had been sniffing around. Now, Ron wasn't the manager of West Ham. He'd moved upstairs. I think he was general manager at the time, but he was very keen on Mariner. And the deal was done on the Saturday night, the week after Bobby had met Paul and gone for dinner with him. The deal was done in the chairman's office with Ron Greenwood, who says, I'm not leaving without getting his signature. There was a verbal agreement um, that he would join West Ham United. Wow. Um, Did not know and, that. Yep. And then Bobby Robson um, phoned the manager, I think, on the Saturday night afterwards. Um, and the deal was, was agreed with Bobby on the Sunday. They went up on the Tuesday. He met... West Brom, who were also keen on him, um, and and West Ham had uh, had fallen away. Um, wow. He was so so close to being a, a West Ham player, but he said he didn't fancy the London lifestyle. How about well, that? Yeah, it doesn't. And, and, and look where he ends up. He ends yeah, up well, Arsenal. But true. how many years later was that when he was a yeah. little bit more mature? I say a little bit more mature because Paul was always someone that grew older but never grew up, and I love that. Yes, that. Uh, that definitely comes from. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Whether you want to protect yourself whilst online or just get access to more streaming content, NordVPN has the solution for you and are now in partnership with us here at Blue Monday. NordVPN can be your cyber bodyguard whilst you're browsing online, but it also allows you to access more streaming content from abroad like sporting events, box sets or films. With one click of a button, NordVPN can digitally transport you to the US, Australia or Amsterdam. For the price of an ITSE match programme each month, you can subscribe to NordVPN and have access to these great services. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, head to nordvpn.com slash bluemonday or click the link in the podcast description. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, so get yourself a great deal and support the podcast in the process. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like home comforts. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home advantage with Mook Delivery. You win. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee in terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Great. I mean, there's a, I don't know whether you know too much about um, ex Ipswich legends who's got a, um, a statue about to be put up, Kevin Beatty. Yeah. Um, his his route to Ipswich sounds, also involves trains, quite a few trains. Trains up to Carlisle, where he's from. Trains to Liverpool, where he's supposed to be met by one of Bill Shankly's coaching staff and he, and he turned up and no one was there and he, and then he somehow <laughs> ended up at Ipswich. Um, love this is, uh, this is, that's of the era though, isn't it? It's yeah. much more boring these days, isn't it? Wow. Well, so I've, I, I want to, I've got a couple more, um, que- I've got one more story about a train. So I, I'm, I'm like, I'm like Billy Conley, except not funny. And I go off on a tangent and sometimes Billy went back to it. I get back to what I was talking about from time to time, but Kevin Beatty's tribute night, I think it was in Clacton, um, perhaps. Um, Whatever it was, that's when 
Paul's partner, um, who he was with when he died, reintroduced herself to him, and they hadn't seen each other since 1984. Wow. Because she used to go to the, the terraces. She wasn't an Ipswich fan. Um, she's an Arsenal fan, but she used to go to the terraces at Portman Road and stand by the tunnel um, to, to just to say hi um, to, to, to Paul. Um, so they met again at the Kevin Beattie tribute night. Um, so there's the connection there. And some of the stories about Kevin in, in the book that Paul has are, are phenomenal. My favourite train story out of the three of them <laughs> Here we go. was shortly after Paul had signed. Paul drove up in this little mini 850 and it blew up in the car park, the gas car or whatever. And so he's, um, I think it was Beatty that, that was took him inside and, and showed him. This is his first morning at a new club. So Beatty's involved there as well as a few others. I could probably um, think of someone more responsible, but never mind. Beatty's probably best. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got so many of these kind of tales having written the book and there might be one or two um, people that have kind of, it was X instead of Y or whatever, but I'm sure it was was BT um, with the long blonde locks that, that kind of all right, son. Um, so that that was that one. But my favourite one was after the mini had blown up and whatever, he had to get back down to Plymouth, but he didn't have a car because on his way from the hotel where he was staying um, with your your wonderful chairman at the time, Mr. Cobbold, um, who, yeah, Mr. John, Mr. Cobbold, who, Mr. John, who used to invite him to play cards with his friends at lunchtime in the hotel. Because that's what he used to do. Paul's this kid. Anyway, um, so he's ended up going back to Plymouth by train. The only way he was able to get back was by train. So he said to Bobby Robson, it was his home debut against West Brom. Brom. They won 7 0. Yeah. Mm. So you look back at that game, Paul Mariner didn't play the full 90 minutes. And there's a reason for that. So he said before the game, uh, Bobby Robson said to Paul before the game, um, you've you've had a hell of a hell of a start. You, your debut was Old Trafford. You won by a goal to nil. This is your your home debut. Your head must be buzzing and spinning. Um, I'm not going to play you for the full ninety, if that's all right. And he goes, Bobby, thank you so much. He goes, I was going to ask you, is there any chance I could get the train tonight back down to Ipswich to see the misses and to to get most of my belongings? And Bobby disappeared for five minutes. Hold on, son. Came back five minutes later with this. He had the timetable. I don't know how he'd got it or, or whatever, but he'd found a list and he'd written down the times from Ipswich to London, I think, and then from Liverpool Street, I think there's the Ipswich train, down to Plymouth. He says, there's one that leaves at five o'clock. Paul's at five o'clock because the game doesn't finish till like 4.40. He goes, aye, so I'm going to take you off maybe after like 65, 70 minutes and then you can get showered and changed. And now is it Mal or Mel? who's one of the historians at the football club no, and used to work for. Yeah, lovely yeah. guy. And some of his articles seem to be fantastic, having read them. He drove Paul from the station at full time with all these adoring fans going, wait a minute, I've just been watching you play in the game. That was his home debut. And he drove Paul to the station to get the five o'clock train to get back to Plymouth. That's why Paul Mariner didn't play the full game that day because he was able to get that five o'clock train. And... Uh, yeah, he, he had That's an amazing. unbelievable debut. He scored a fantastic Quality goal. Quality goal, yeah. Oh, I said that was one of the best goals he ever scored. But he didn't play the full game that day because it enabled him to get back to Plymouth that night in time for oh, match of the day. Brilliant. This is going to be a treasure trove. I'm, <laughs> there, are, there, are, there are people, including um, Dave Diamond on our pod, um, who will be absolutely salivating at the thought of reading oh. these, these anecdotes. Um, worth saying as well, I, 
and I don't know if this is a common for the, the other three books that you'd um, authored as well, is you, I, I definitely noticed you post on those with the days and maybe a Plymouth forum as well, getting insights from supporters. Is that something that you've, you've done in the past? And is there anything that you've learned doing that process this time around? Yeah, I think I think it's like saying, what's your favourite city in the world? Well, a lot of the time, your favourite city is somewhere that you've got a friend who stays there and they're able to show you all about the this, this city that you might not see. So local knowledge, I think, has always been important to me. My background is, is radio and then into TV with Sky Sports. Um, and th there is that journalistic nous, I would hope. Um, now I'm a commentator, I don't have to rely on it as much. But I love the, the whole blank page and, and just being able to to, to create. Um, so it, it it's something that I think is important because all it takes, you might get 100 people getting back to you and, and you're very grateful for that. But if there's one, that can lead to someone else. Then you can get those 100 and you can put that around. So the Ipswich Town fans were, were great. And I, what I'm looking for in, in a book is not to tell you what you already know or can find out. I want to add meat to the bones. I want to take you into a dressing room, take you into a pub. And they nearly burnt a pub in Ipswich down because Ian Gillen used to like lighting the bottom of a newspaper and then putting it up his arse. And so this, was, this was at the end of a night. If the barman said last call, he goes, I'm... So he'd try and set a newspaper on fire and say, I want another pint. And he always got one. But there was one night, and I, look, I know I'm giving away a lot of anecdotes. There's so many more in the book that are like this. You guys had a Saturday night newspaper. Was it the Green? Greenin, yeah. The Greenin. Okay. So Gillen's in town. He always stayed with Mariner when he was in Ipswich playing at the Gaumont or or wherever he was playing. Is it the Gaumont or the Gaumont? I think it's the Gaumont. Yeah. Uh, it's before my time, I'm really sad to say. That, that's okay. I think Gaumont. I'd go with that. Yeah. Because yeah. Deep Purple had played there and then the Ian Gillen band. So anytime Gillen was in Ipswich, he'd always used to come there. So... In the pub, and it's, it's in the book, my apologies for not remembering the name of the, the pub, they always seem to go to him and Walkie and Russell and Terry and the rest. It's always the same characters. Um, so Gillen was with them one night, and um, he, he decided that his party trick would, would be with the green end. So the, whoever comes in, he used to slap it down on the table after a home game with Paul and whatever. So one of them picked it up because he always liked to see how they got on, having just played in the game, but that's just football. It's like those footballers that like to see their man marks, and they're happy if it's seven, eight, or nine, but they're not happy if it's if it's five or six. But he took he'd taken the um, he'd taken the newspaper to to the bar. I think it was Teddy Butcher had gone up to the bar, and Gillen's on his hands and knees, sneaking around with a lighter, and he's lit the paper, and the the bloody place, the bar nearly went up. They're like, get this out, and they're throwing it all over the place. The Greenham's on fire. Gillen's sniggering. Man, I was like, what are you doing? But that was the type of thing that, that Gillen did. And there's so many stories with Gillen and with Paul and, and the Nebworth one where they're on top of a... I remember oh, you telling this one in the summer. Yeah, wow. Goodness me. They're all, so Nebworth in 84, so the Deep Purple is, is, um, is reunited for the first time since they split up in the late 70s after uh, a tour to Japan. I think they were in Tokyo and they decided they'd had enough. So they invite Paul... Um, to come there and he's obviously invited Russell and, and Terry and one of the neighbor's friends who they lost, but the full story about that is in the book. Um, so they're backstage beforehand and then they go outside and Mariner, they're all on whiskey, so they're all steaming and Butcher and Osman get up because they've got the perfect view by the side of the stage on this huge big crate. 
which unknown to them contains about ten thousand pounds worth of fireworks, which would have blown <laughs> the whole place up. So I told Gillen about that because Ian has written the the I think, and it's not because it's just for Paul's book. I've never read a forward like this ever because Ian Gillen is a very smart man as well as a very talented man. And he writes um, in a way that is absolutely incredible. Um, and I had told him about this and he had no record. I mean, he's he's getting a helicopter in to Nebworth. I mean, his pals are important to him, but this is a big thing for, for a famous guy like Ian Gillen with Deep Purple reforming and and being on stage. So he's, he's, he's not going to, kind of know that and it's not something that Paul and the guys would would kind of talk about too much I'm sure Russell did because Russell was invited to Gillen's house but Mariner was the only one of the three that wasn't on top of the fireworks um so that mm-hmm. was the one time well but Gillen said Gillen that's what Ian was saying he was so surprised that that was the case because Mariner is normally the leader of the gang that leads them not into temptation <laughs> and does various things like that but this time for once in his life Mariner was sensible um, unfortunately, Terry and, uh, and and Russell weren't, but it was thankfully there was no harm done. Blimey, that there, the, uh, I guess it's a good thing it was after our UEFA Cup win because that would have. We, there's a fight again. I, I'll let, um, give you the details after we finish recording. There's a there's a book by Kevin Finch about Kevin Beatty. Beatty mm-hmm. missed a big chunk of the season by putting petrol on a bonfire in his house, and it went up in his face, and he, he, he they feel like kindred spirits. So I'll, I'll we'll talk talk off off air about about that one um before you reveal the entirety of the ipswich chunk of that that is nothing compared to because which is because we could go on all night as well by the way um it's it's worth kind of talking through the the process of finishing the book which is obviously was it was a challenge and um and we also want people to go out and and buy it as well so uh, was it was it done um prior to his um prior to his passing or, or did that change anything? Or because uh, I think you had it, it was due to come out in the summer, perhaps, and is is, is now coming out in November. So obviously, I don't want to drill too much into that because it was a really, really sad time for everyone. But just talk to us about getting the book finally on shelves and, and the process of doing that, if you would. Yeah, COVID hasn't helped um, from a sure, okay, pr- yeah. perspective and from a printing perspective. My deadline never changed. My deadline was always July thirty first. And I was able to to submit it. Paul died on the 9th of July. Um, it was when when Stevie Stevie Nichol messaged me that that just simply said Paul's gone. Um, I was writing the chapter 14. I think it is about Ian Gillen and, and the music. Say music chapter. I mean, it's just a piss up um, and fun and fun and games. So I had I was laughing at it's not what I'd written because I'd written things that I'd been told or I'd got from Paul about everything that happened and and the content I got from Ian Gillen was phenomenal. So I'm kind of sitting chuckling and then the text come through and I'm, it's the most bittersweet emotion possible because you, you, you're you reveling in somewhere that you weren't, but you're reading about. And that's part of the other reason that I, the way I write, I want to take people and make sure that they feel part of something as well. Um, even although they might not have been born or were elsewhere, I, I just, I think it's important that, you can tell a story in a way that is is easy to read, um, but is is also very self deprecating and, and humorous. And and the the humor came from Gillen and Mariner. The sadness came from from Stevie's text. We knew it was a case of when, and not if. So I think I had a twenty two days. So I was just um, I was finishing up. I was in chapter fourteen. 
I think there's 22. It was, it was basically a 16-hour job every day. Um, the, the, the first few days were harder than ever because it's just happened. And, but it made me more determined than ever that yeah. don't give up now, that you've put so much into this with Paul, with all Paul's friends. And Paul was never a quitter. So there's no way I was going to – I'd come too far to do that. And I had a family and all Paul's friends that had kept me going along saying, come on, uh, here's more, we can do what you like, um, we'll give you stuff and we'll help you out. They were desperate for this to be a legacy to to Paul. So that last 22 days up until the 31st of July were were intense, um, but I'm so proud of, of kind of what we were able to, to achieve. And then we were hopeful it was going to come out kind of, the earliest it was ever going to come out was end of September, start of October. But they've really struggled. And it's published by um, Reach Sport, who, who do many magazines, club magazines. And programs. And programs and stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And programs. And they're the kind of Daily Mirror's arm of, um, of publishing. So uh, one of the biggest companies, uh, publishing companies in, in the United Kingdom from a media perspective, even they have really struggled to, to get paper, uh, to get the printers, because um, there's such a backlog of things. So I have to say it was touch and go. This was nearly a spring release from what was going to be a, an end of September, start of October. Um, we'd always hoped to get it out in time for Christmas. And, and thankfully, we had that little buffer. But if my deadline had been any later than, than the 31st of July, and bearing in mind, I only started writing it on the 1st of April, and I did 40 interviews as well. Um, that it was, a, it was a hectic summer. Well, yeah, wow. it, I wouldn't have been able to do it had I not written the other three. Because you the first one you you probably write about one hundred and fifty thousand, then it goes down to about eighty because you're not you're sh you know what you're doing, but you're writing a lot of other stuff and you're not sure what they want. We knew straight away, and, and th this is the same publisher. They were called Trinity at the time, as in Trinity Mirror that, that did Stevie's that one that did Stevie's book behind me. So um, my editor, I knew well, having worked with a brilliant guy called Paul Dove, um, who who really helped me, um, and without him. Uh, I wouldn't have been able to, to do it on time. And he then had the opportunity to, to get that edited, but he ran into the same issues as well. The, oh, the, the thing was done. The frustration was that, that we couldn't get it on the shelves before now, but I'm delighted that we are. In the, and hopefully it'll be on sale for, um, for Ipswich fans prior to the game against Rotherham. Uh, we're going to be doing a signing session um, in the retail store at Portman Road, I think from 5.30 on Tuesday. And uh, if it hasn't been delivered by then, we're all in trouble. Well, you can just talk us through it, Mark. That's what we want. And, and that, this is I'm next Tuesday, by the way. That's, we are, we're recording this Tuesday 16th, so this will be Tuesday 23rd. And, yeah, and, um, and yeah, it'll be interesting to get your, well, maybe we'll, we'll chat afterwards, your take of being around Portman Road, because the grounds are a lot different. In, in some ways it's very different in some ways it's not you've got two end stands behind the goals that have that were modernized in the early noughties but the stands either side largely the same you know the old font on the cobbled stand roof named after mm -hmm. mr john um and statues outside of sir ralph sir bobby and in a few months time the beat as well so it'll be interesting mm -hmm. as have you ever made the trip to portman road before no, I've I've done many. Uh, my sister stays in in the Midlands, um, but uh, Ipswich is not one of the ones um, that that I've done. My, I, I hate. I'm I'm very competitive. My mother and father have been there. My sister's been there. 
because my brother-in-law is a West Brom fan, so they went to see okay. it switch against West Brom a few years ago. So now I can say I'm I'm finally getting to go to the game against Rotherham. And as someone that used to collect Panini stickers back in the early '80s, I remember your your pinstripe pioneer jersey. Um, and it was a bit like the, the West Brom stand. Some of the photos were taken and there's this weird looking kind of seats in the background and the way it kind of, it goes up. Yeah, and, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and when when you write something or when you get involved as, as I had to be to, to do this, you have to give your all to it, but you do get ensconced in this. And some of the stories, and, and there are many stories about Plymouth and, and Arsenal as well, again, predominantly to do with either alcohol or hijinks in England as well. Um, but the Ipswich stuff, I'm trying to put myself inside Portman Road, having never been there, because Mariner and Butcher, they're knocking on the dressing room door of the away team um, in the Ipswich Town UEFA Cup run, trying to hell raise and everything like that. And they're singing nice. and they're banging <laughs> and they're dancing. So that was with the stand, excuse the ignorance here, is the stand... The, t- the the tunnel still where it used to be, where I think they used to come out uh, at the corner or just behind the goal. Yeah. Um, is it, is it I think it's so, been uh, ever present. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, yeah. And it's the corner of that new standing we're talking about. Yeah. So the the another quick story without giving too much away. Although as you, as <laughs> I need to, I need to write, I feel like I need to write you in, Mark. Oh my goodness! You're selling books you, here. You're selling books. <laughs> as you've kind of heard, I start something. I'm I'm like Magnus Magnus, and I've started, so I'll finish. I don't. I'm not very good at teasing. I need a this, the, Yeah, <laughs> there was a, there was a player was the the semi final game against Cologne, and and Marin, the guy that got sent off, um, the the uh, the Cologne player. Now you're testing um, me. Mariner right. basically said to him. I'm going to kick the shit out of you because they were so they were so amped up, um, and Millsy was a, the the difference between Millsy, who seemed to be the best possible captain, and, and Terry, who was this hellraiser. But honestly, I've seen Butcher angry because he was in management when I was doing Sky and various other radio and TV in Scotland, and um, I got on well with with Terry. He used to phone us up when I used to do a radio show, breakfast show, on, on Radio Fourth in Edinburgh, and we used oh, to do the this. Rangers. When he was no, this, was at, this was at Dundee United, where okay. he used to be a, a coach there, not even the manager. And we used to have a quiz on a Friday morning, and he used to phone us up on his way, because he lives in Bridge of Allen in Scotland, um, which is near near Stirling. So he was going up to Dundee, and he could still he was still within the range of listening. So he'd phone up, and he was he was his brilliant company. And then, ultimately, I'm a Hearts fan, as you can maybe tell. He became manager at Hibs. That was kind of difficult. Because ah, yes. we don't really like each other, but I've always liked Terry. But he had this anger um, when he was playing, and he is a perfect leader. Um, was it the away game? I think he he got the only goal in Cologne. Um, he he scored. Um, again, apologies if there's any kind of grammatical or or, or I'm sure I'm not it, I'm correcting sure it you him. either. We're complicit. I, I, it's fine. Yes, I think it was him. Um, but but to the home game, um, Butcher's like. He's got veins popping out his face, and the Mariners the same. And there was a little bit of argy bargy in the tunnel behind the goal. And this is where I'm trying to picture myself. Um, this not it's pretty narrow and, and whatever. And, and Bobby wanted them to go straight out, and they went up to the away dressing room, and banging on the door. And then their guy took it when they're lining up, and he, I'm going, I'm, I'm going for you, I'm getting you, and he did, and he got him from a corner inside three or four minutes. The guy got back up eventually after treatment, played on for a couple of minutes, then had to be subbed. 
and Mariner was shouting over to him, hey, up you. When he went, oh, oh there's... I didn't think you'd have that edge to him, but but it mattered at that point because our season we had a treble at one point that was on, and I'm, I I don't know whether that that comes up. That's that's for another day, maybe. But that, that comes up. They wanted that. That became suddenly the be all and end all. The UEFA Cup. So um, that it's funny that there's a sorry to interrupt. There's there's a piece that I read an article on. Um, it was either the the website that, that you guys do the message board, but I had a link to an article about a goal that was scored. Did Paul Mariner, was it, I'm sure it was Mariner that scored the winner against Villa in the FA Cup that season. Um, and it was, did Paul Mariner cost Ipswich oh, the I treble? See, yeah. Or not the, the, not the treble, but the, the title, sorry, because they wouldn't have won the treble had they... Um, Played so many had, games. and yeah. But, yeah, Exactly. So the, the essence of the article was if Ipswich had lost to Villa in the FA Cup. Villa would have had more games. Ipswich would have had fewer games. And ultimately, because Ipswich lost the semi-final, I think to... I'm guessing if I get mixed up with my Manchester City. Man City. I think it was, it was Man City. City because Paul played in the semi-final of the League Cup for Plymouth against Man City. Um, Plymouth, as a third-tier side, reached the semi-final of the League Cup back in 75, I think it was. And it was Man City again that, that beat Ipswich. And, and Ipswich should have beaten City. They were a better team and, and whatever. But the whole essence of the article was if Ipswich had lost that game against Villa, they would have been slightly fresher. They wouldn't have played all those games mid-60s, of which Russell Osman played in them all. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's it's all hypothetical and, and everything like that. But things that lead to, to other things. Um, but w- what a run. But there is a... There is a distinct frustration among everybody that I spoke to that played for Ipswich. They should have won the league that season. And Paul never won a league. He got promotion with Portsmouth. He got promotion with Plymouth. He came so close with with Ipswich, um, but he never won a a league title. He won the FA Cup with with Ipswich in 1978, which he will always cherish. And some of the tales around that are are phenomenal. Um, I'm not going to spoil this one, but there was an incident in the tunnel beforehand that um at Wembley say, uh-huh oh wow yeah that, that Malcolm McDonald um won't forget in a hurry wow um but yeah there's I, I, I so enjoyed writing this as as a, a football lover and someone that got into football in the the kind of early 80s writing Stevie's book I knew a lot about what he did because I was able to at the World Cup in 86 and then following the the progress of of Liverpool now Paul's slightly older but that Panini sticker of, of Paul, not at Ipswich, I think the first one was 84. So he would have been at Arsenal at the time, 84 or 85. Um, Tommy Caton, uh, Charlie Nicholas, Tony Woodcock, Paul Mariner. That's how I remember him. Then Panini 86 for the World Cup, Mariner with the long hair, playing for England. Um, just so many, so many kind of memories of that. Um, and... Your memories get get mixed up. I think I've got Paul playing in the '86 World Cup right there. He didn't. I'm just I'm kind of going over it. Of course, that was '82 World Cup. He played um, in that. But there's there's just so many stories, and it it kind of it took me into an era where I was besotted by the stories that you you will get about Ipswich winning the UEFA Cup and the FA Cup, players going out and celebrating the Open Top Bus Parade. 
going back on the way from Wembley to get to Ipswich, they stopped off at a pub because they promised that they were going to take the FA Cup in. Remember that? Yeah. If, and, and they're all pissed and they couldn't get them back on the bus because they're like, no, well, we're just going to What's the difference between celebrating in the pub and celebrating back? You know, all your friends and your family and all the fans are, are back in Ipswich. Yeah, okay. So trying to get them out of the pub, having gone into the pub. But stories like that. So my aim has been to take the reader and make them feel like they're on the bus. They're in the changing room. They're on the field. They're drinking with Ian Gillen and Paul Mariner. They're at Nebworth. That's what I've tried to do. And the proof of the pudding will be in the eating. Well, it sounds fascinating. And, and it sounds like a, an amazing amount of work. I, I feel like mm. you're part kind of author, part detective. Um, <laughs> yeah. Part my father was a, my, my, yeah, my father is a detective inspector. So I think part of, of him has rubbed off on me in that I'm like a dog with a bone. And, and if I find something and I don't, there's one thing missing, but I think I can get it. I'll not let up until I get that. And by doing that, I was able to uncover... Um, probably more than I would have done normally. And, and that it, it's the tangents that lead to that little thing. Speak to someone, it leads to that big thing. And then you can it brings other people in. You can get their viewpoints on it. And the wonderful lady, I mean, one of my favorite conversations of all the, the 40 or so people I, I spoke to um, was a, a lovely lady by the name of Pat. And Pat I'm Gobbled. sure you know. Yes. And Legend. Yeah. Oh, one of the nicest people. Um, the only thing, I, I was just convinced she was going to offer me a cup of tea. And it, everything was done virtually. And, and I'm in America and, and she's over there. But I can see why she was so beloved. And, and to, to read and then write about her um, being in the Ipswich Town Hall of Fame, along with Mariner and, and everyone else, that kind of summed up for me the, the kind of football club that Ipswich Town was. And not knowing it as a club, hopefully still is and will, will continue to be because it's, it seems like a wonderful football club with a, a, a fantastic fan base. Um, and it, it's, it's a community club. There's something about being a, a one-club town or city. With Hearts, we share it with Hibs, we've got the rivalry. You guys have got the rivalry with Norwich, albeit it's up the way. But there's that. And the time that Paul played... And the time that Stevie Nicol played, I don't know what kind of autobiographies you're going to get from Raheem Sterling and and various others in years to come. They're probably going to read like Anne Frank's diary: stayed in, stayed in, stayed in. Play because FIFA. yeah, they, they, it's not their fault. This is the world we live in now. But they're 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 recompensed for that. And they're paid very well for that. But there aren't those stories. So these these are the kind of last stories that you're able to tell. Um, of those that played in the 80s and, and, and the 90s. Because once it gets to the, the kind of current day players now and their autobiographies in years to come, of course they'll sell well. People will just buy them flippantly, but they're not going to be those stories. But to have all those stories, you're still going to have people willing to, to, to tell them and to elaborate on them. And the reason they're able to do so is because there is no evidence. There is no social media because a lot of them wouldn't be told without that. But thankfully, we can tell them on their behalf. Yeah. And and your book is going to be a fantastic legacy that does that and, and introduces Paul to a whole new um, new era of Ipswich Town fans. And, and, and for that, we're massively grateful. I'm, I'm really excited to read it myself having spoken to you now so thank you so much for giving us your time and and putting so much time into the book as well and obviously it covers more than just Ipswich but um really grateful as an Ipswich Town fan to read about those heroes from from that amazing 
era for us and the community club hopefully you'll you'll get to experience this maybe it lost its way for a decade or so but hopefully there's a feel that it's it's getting back that way and and actually pat godwell was at a itfc supporters q a only a couple of weeks mm. ago that I was at and talking about all the memorabilia and the uh mm -hmm. um, in the director's box and all that kind of stuff so maybe you'll even get to see some of that yeah she had her suit as well um for the for the fa cup final in, in 1970 wow. and I'm, I'm sitting there rich and she's telling me all these wonderful stories i'm in tears she goes when i go eventually i want to be buried in that blue suit <laughs> i don't even i've never met you 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 seem like the most perfect and nicest person in the world and you've got me in floods of tears there was a lot of tears that went into this book um thankfully the majority of them were tears of laughter but the one thing and and as it got towards the end for paul and i'm still doing the interviews people by that stage know that he's not well and they probably know they're not going to get another opportunity to talk about paul so there there were moments where it got emotional um with the people i was speaking to with myself um, I think the first interview I did was Kevin Painter um, okay, at the end of March. Oh, yeah. yeah. So we did the darts. Um, the last interview I did was Jürgen Klinsmann. Wow. Because Jürgen got Paul into Toronto FC when Jürgen was there and Paul um, came in after that. So I think that is a kind of summation of, of the way the book is. I've started with Kevin Painter, a darts player who's a super lad, and I've ended with Jürgen Klinsmann. And everything in between is just chaotically mad which i love about paul and i always will brilliant brilliant stuff mark thank you so much for taking us through that i really appreciate it we need to kind of talk about where folk can get the book i'll put the picture up here we'll, we'll obviously tweet it out um but yeah paul mariner my rock and roll football story um out um depending on when you're listening to this i think thursday 25th ish but it should be it should be out on the tuesday night prior yeah to the, tell us about that quickly and what is i'll just put your social media up as well so donaldson i'm um, at Donald, have I got the ESPN? I have, right, yeah. 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 <laughs> Donald said ESPN. Um, we'll tweet about this from the podcast channel as well, so you'll see that there. But um, yeah, just briefly remind us of Tuesday 23rd. Yeah, so this is the 16th when we're recording. Um, the publishers are due to receive copies of the book, but the majority of the first copies of the book are going direct to the Ipswich Town store, the retail store at, at Portman Road, because they've placed a, a decent-sized order and 30% of the profit that Ipswich Town make on the book is going to the Brain Tumor Charity. So they have Brilliant. kindly agreed um, to do that. What I'll do as well, Rich, I will send you the link to direct to the publisher's website. Um, I think, I mean, over here, we have this thing called Black Friday. It seems to have seeped into your culture as well. Don't complain, there's a 40% off. Uh, I think you can get the hardback for about 11 pounds 50 instead of 18.99. Um, by ordering online as well and you should have that by next week so yeah the big chunk of uh, of the profits um that ipswich town make on this is is going to the chosen charity of of paul's family so that's a magnanimous that's and magnificent gesture um from the football club so yeah um they they hope to have it on sale at the start of of next week and um the plan is that we will be able to sign some of them um I don't want to devalue it for you, but um, oh. I'm meant to be there from 5.30, I think, next Tuesday. And then, uh, looking forward to, yeah, look, looking forward to, to Ipswich Rotherham on my first taste of Portman Road. And That is going to be a feisty one as well. Yeah, yeah. And the only thing I wish um, for that was that, that Paul would be sat beside me. But Yeah, it's a shame. Yeah, but the, the book is the lasting 
legacy, as you say, Mark. And, and on behalf of all Ipswich Town fans, and I'm sure Plymouth, Arsenal fans, and Deep Purple fans as well. Thank you for everyone by the sound of it. Thank you so much for that. And, and again, thank you so much for speaking to us as well. It's been an absolute pleasure hearing about this book and looking forward to reading it. Um, and um, we've got um, uh, we've had a show in mind for a while. We want to um, find a football book and get all of our subscribers reading it and then having oh, a bit of nice. a conversation about it. So um, be cool. we might, this one might be the one. Um, let us know in the comments if you want to do that. Um, all of our details, as always, you can find at bloomondayitfc.co.uk. We might even get Mark on to do a little, uh, maybe get you to read a, a bit of it or something like that. We'll get you involved, I'm sure, in that one. But um, once again, Mark, um, Donaldson at, um, at Donaldson ESPN if you want to get in touch with Mark and find out all about what he's doing. And Planet Blue, Tuesday 23rd before the Rotherham, go and say hello. Um, Mark, thank you once again. That was great. Thank you. Thank you. It's the promotion running. Everyone is gathered round to watch. The McNuggets share boxes are there offering much needed distraction. Your mate's already been booked for double dipping, but in you swoop to steal the last nuggets and claim all three points. Oh, and there is the Harry Clark fist pump to celebrate. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in at participating restaurant. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.